Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Good looking bunch out there. It's good to see your faces. Um, we're really happy to be here, Aranda and I. Um, I want to thank again uh, Pastor Tony and Pastor Therese for having us here to speak about marriages. Uh, it's my belief that if the church isn't upholding the value of marriage in our culture, who is? It's sure not the government. It's sure not our society. It's not education. If the church isn't upholding the way God wants marriages to happen, it's not going to happen. So I'm just uh, thankful that this church wants to uphold marriages and cheerlead them and encourage them. So we appreciate that. We want to thank you for having us back. A year and a half ago, Rhonda and I moved to Lake Orion. Uh, that's in the other country called Oakland County. And uh, we moved there, and in doing so, we were really praying about something, and God was leading us to uh, connect with the church locally that would, in that area, where we could lock arms and serve with them, and as, as we feel we have here at CCC. And um, we had already been doing some marriage retreats for Woodside Bible Church at their retreat center, and it just seemed like a natural fit. So we began um, attending and now part of Woodside Bible Church in Lake Orion. And that's why we haven't been around a whole lot, but we still have family here. We have friends. And uh, Rhonda and I were talking yesterday how this still feels like our home church. So we thank you for welcoming us back. And it's, it's an honor and privilege. Um, it's not just me. I'm here this morning, um, but my wife has been a part of this also. So I just want to introduce my beautiful bride, Rhonda. Know if you'll stand. Thank you. Some of you may be asking, why is she not up here? Because this is not her thing, okay? That's all I'm going to say. When Phil said, turn to the other person and say, I'm glad you're here this morning, she was saying she was really glad I'm here this morning, or else she would have been it. So uh, she's grateful for that. This message that I want to present this morning actually has a twofold purpose. It's the conclusion of our marriage conference that we started yesterday. And so some of you who were here will have your workbooks. We encourage you to bring those with you to fill in the blanks of the workbook to complete um, the whole conference. And those of you who weren't, that's okay. We've got the slides. We're going to have some uh, fill-in-the-blank slides. You'll see those so you can take notes. Um, as was already mentioned, you can even get on the CCC app and take notes there if you would like. Um, but that's part of the reason we're doing this. The other reason is because it just was a natural fit with the You Asked For It series, because one of the questions got asked, at least by one person, hopefully many, was how can I be a better spouse? How can I be a better spouse? And as we looked at our material to see if any of that would segue into that theme, it just seemed very fitting that I would speak on the topic of honor. This is one of the topics we share in our Heart of Marriage conferences and retreats. And it's just a, a, a perfect fit, because in my opinion, if there's only one thing you do in your marriage, to make it better. If there's only one thing you focus on as an individual in that marriage to improve your marriage and to be a better spouse, it would be to honor God and honor your spouse. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. If you do that, I believe it will transform your marriage and turn what seems impossible to something possible. 
I don't know why some of you are here other than coming to church. I don't know the state of your marriage. Some of you have a good marriage. Some of you believe it's the best it's been. Some of you are best friends in your marriage, and that's great. And I hope this message, God will use it just to kind of turn it up a notch, take you to another level maybe. Some of you have kind of drifted from each other. It's kind of like you're strangers. You're just roommates. You're breathing the same air, paying the same bills, raising the same kids, but you're so distant. You're like strangers. And I hope something God will use in what I shared this morning will be something to spark a movement back toward each other and stop the drifting that's happening and bring you back together. And, and I'm not naive to think that there could be many in this room whose marriages are a wreck. They're a mess. And maybe some of you are even feeling hopeless about your marriage being any better than it is, or even if it could get better. Maybe some of you are at the end of your rope and don't even believe it should go on. And I just want to encourage you through the words this morning that if you'll just honor God and honor your spouse, your marriage can turn around. I really believe that. So let's just dive in. And um, the first part I want to talk about is honoring God through your marriage. John Piper says, Marriage is the doing of God and the display of God. I really like that. Marriage is the doing of God. It's his doing. He created it. He was the founder. He was the initiator. Nobody else made up marriage. Nobody else can define marriage either, by the way, because God defined it. He established it. God, the marriage is God's doing. But it's also the display of God. It's a way that people get to know God is through our marriages. And that's kind of what I want to unpack a little bit this morning. So first of all, I want to say that when we honor God through our marriage, we need to understand that marriage is the doing of God. Marriage is the doing of God. Jesus said this in Mark 10, verses 6 through 9. He said, from the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. They are no longer two, but one flesh. And catch this next verse. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. What God has joined together, it's God's marriage, God's doing. And since your marriage is the doing of God, since he joined it together, then it is his marriage, not yours. It's his so you need to submit your marriage to the sovereignty and authority of God. And by sovereignty, when I say that, that's kind of a big word. By, by sovereignty, what I mean is God has full right to your marriage. By him being sovereign over your marriage, God has supreme power over your marriage. When I say he has, he's sovereign, if you allow him to be sovereign over your marriage, you're giving him full jurisdiction to your marriage. He can have his hands in everything about your marriage, and he should. See, in Mark 10, Jesus quotes from Genesis 2.24, in which God said there, um, this is my plan for marriage. This is what I expect the marriage to be. I've defined it, I've established it, and I want to tell you what it's about. He said, first of all, husband and wife shall leave their father and mother, and they will come together and cleave to one another and become one flesh. There's three parts to that. There's a leaving and yeah, it makes sense. There's a physical leaving. If you're going to get married, you got to leave your mom and dad's house and you got to find a home or a place to live and come in together. But that Hebrew word for leave is not just a physical leaving. It's referring to a psychological leaving, 
meaning you're going to leave your father and mother. No longer are they the relational priority. No longer is your family of origin the relational priority. But there are a lot of other scriptures that tell us that our families and our parents continue to be and should be a priority in our relationship, but they are no longer to be the priority. What he's really saying here is there should be no other relationship in your sphere of relationships that's more important than your spousal relationship. Your children should not be more important than your spouse is to you. Your boss should not be more important to you and pleasing your boss than pleasing your spouse. Your friends should not be more important. I'm saying there should be no other relationship more important. And your spouse needs to know that they are your number one relational priority. And if they don't, that's something you've got to work on if you're following God's plan. But then he said there's this leaving, but then there's a cleaving. And that Hebrew word really just means like it's a, a super glue effect. Like you're coming together and you're going to be bonded. And we talked yesterday about attachment bonds. And you're going to be bonded and it's going to be such a tight fit that not even hurricane force winds can blow it apart. You're cleaving and holding on to one another. That's part of God's plan. There needs to be a coming together where you feel attached and connected with each other. Not drifting, coming together and cleaving holding fast. That means it should be a lasting marriage. That means you should not let go. That means it should be a lifelong covenant relationship, lifelong. And I know that is so anti-cultural these days. Back when I was a pastor and did weddings, I would give the vows for the couples to repeat to one another. And oftentimes it would end with, um, as far as we both shall live. Now the vows are almost like as far as one of us stays in love with the other one. In our culture today, it's, well, if I fall out of love with you, then the marriage is over. And it's almost like couples want to negotiate what parts of the vow, like for better, for worse. Well, I'll say yes to the better, but if it gets really worse, I'm out. This is not what the word cleave means. God's plan is for your marriage to last for a lifetime. That's his plan. And when you leave and you cleave, the natural effect of that is you become one flesh. You become one. So marriage is the doing of God. But marriage is also the display of God. It's the display of God. Ephesians 5, 23 to 32, very popular passage we look at with marriages. Paul writes, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, notice that, now as the church submits to Christ, that's the model, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. There's the model, as Christ loved the church. So this mystery, he says, is profound, and I'm saying basically what I'm trying to tell you, Paul says, is all of this is referring, or your marriage is referring to Christ and the church. In other words, your marriage, my marriage, better be a portrayal of the covenant-keeping love between Christ and the church. That's the purpose of the marriage. It's the doing of God, and it's the display of God. God wants your marriage to represent or be a portrayal of Christ's love for the church and the church's respect and submission to Christ. That's what it's about. 
These aren't just rules that God's given you in your marriage. Okay, wives, you need to submit, and husbands, you need to love and nurture. They're not just like commands. There's a reason for those commands, and the reason is so that if you do those things, you are representing to a watching world what Christ's love is like to the church and what church's love is for Christ. It's, it's a bigger picture for us then if we look at it that way. I, I like what Dr. Dan Allender says, a marriage is to be the face of God to a world that can't see him unless he's portrayed in human flesh. A marriage is to be the face of God to a world that can't see him unless he is portrayed in human flesh. And I just want to ask you, those of you who are married, what is your marriage portraying? What is your marriage reflecting to the watching world around you with your children on a front row seat? to your grandchildren or potential grandchildren, future generations behind them. What are you reflecting? What does your marriage say to them about God and his love? Now, there are at least two ways your marriage is the display of God to each other and to the world. First of all, your marriage will be a display of God when you allow him to mold Christ-like character in you. That is so true. Your marriage will be a display of God when you allow him to mold Christ-like character in you. Gary Thomas, in his book, Sacred Marriage, he says, God designed marriage to make us holy, not to make us happy. So, so many people have this false thought that, well, I married my spouse so I could be happy, and now I'm not happy anymore, so I want out. But that's not what God designed marriage to be. God designed marriage to make you holy, to make you a better person. But see, most marriages are suffering from meism. It's the default mode of the human heart to constantly ask, well, what about me? What about me? What about me? And that's focused on you. Not on you being better, but you being happy. So marriage is designed by God to attack self. You, you can't be married and be selfish. That's one of the reasons a lot of people don't like being married is because marriage in the nature of itself calls for us to be selfless. And deep inside all of us is a spoiled three-year-old and we want it our way and we want it now. That's known as the flesh. And the flesh doesn't want to be married because I've got to sacrifice myself. I've got to give of myself. And that's God's purpose for marriage is to help die to that and be focused on another and their needs. One of our favorite authors of marriage is John and Stacy Eldridge, and they said, marriage is a crucible. It will eventually expose every broken place in you and reveal every sin. Allow God to use your marriage to change you and transform you into a holy man, into a holy woman. Kind of in a humorous way, but true way, Gary and Betsy Rasusi, in their book, Love That Lasts, says, one of the best wedding gifts God gave you was a full-length mirror called Your Spouse. Had there been a card attached, it would have said, here's to helping you discover what you're really like. <laughs> right? Number two, your marriage will be a display of God when you model God's love. When you model God's love. Again, according to that passage in Ephesians 5, the ultimate purpose of marriage is to model to the world the love relationship between Christ and the church. Jimmy Evans says in his book, Marriage on the Rock, says marriage reveals the heart of God and the power of God's love more than anything else on earth. 
When you see a married couple loving each other the way they should, then you are seeing a picture of God's love. It's a display of God's love. Again, what is your marriage displaying? What is it displaying? The love of God? The way you love your spouse, the way you love on your spouse is a representation of God's love, not only to your spouse, but to other people around you. So we're to honor God in our marriage, but obviously in our marriage, we have a spouse. We need to honor our spouse. In my outline, I make this a second point, like Roman numeral two, but actually, as I think about it, it really should be a sub point to the first one. Because according to Scripture, in my opinion, if you're not honoring your spouse, you are not honoring God. A lot of people will say, well, I'm honoring God, I'm honoring God, but they're not honoring their spouse. Well, then you're not really fully honoring God. It's a sub-point, really. We're going to have to change that in our outline, I think. What do I mean by honor? Well, honor, the word itself means to regard or treat someone with admiration and respect. You ought to work at admiring and respecting your spouse. It also means to give special recognition to someone, to recognize them in a special way. The word honor means to esteem, to admire, to defer to, to value, to cherish, to adore. Those are all synonyms of honor. I forgot about clicking the slides. There we go. Letter B, the biblical call to mutual respect is what it's about honor. Honoring your spouse means in your marriage, there needs to be mutual respect. Now, I got to be really careful here because I don't want to spend a lot of time on this, and I really could because this is kind of one of my hobby horses, okay? And my hobby horse is um, coming from Ephesians 5.22, which simply says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Now, in our new translations, like the NIV and the ESV and all of those, you know, Paul didn't write the letter to the church at Ephesus with headings of paragraphs and verse numbers. He just wrote a letter. And he wrote verse 22, which I just said, submit to one another, one another, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, to revere Christ, to honor him, right? Submit to one another. And in our new versions, then it goes to the next paragraph, and there's a heading that says husbands and wives, And in that section, it says, wives, submit to your husbands. And then husbands, love your wife. And a lot of people, especially in churches, Christians say, they focus on that. And the husband say, see, honey, you need to submit to me. Which if a husband has to say that, it's probably because he's not doing his part, which is loving and cherishing. Right? If a husband would love and cherish, then the submission part, the respect comes. How come we expect our wives to respect us when we're not being respectful and loving and nurturing to them, right? But we look at that and say, wives, you're, that's your role. You're supposed to submit. Oh, really? Us husbands, we're off the hook. What about verse 22? Because in my opinion, Paul wrote that as a pivotal verse to the rest of chapter 5 and into chapter 6, because he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And oh, by the way, how that will look or play out is in your marriage, you need wives, you need to submit to your husbands, and husbands love your wives. And then he goes down in chapter 6, verse 1, 
Fathers, don't exasperate your children, but children, you need to respect your, your parents. And then he goes on to slaves and, and owners or employers and employees. And he says the way that lives out in that is you each need to respect and submit to one another. He's using that as a pivotal voice, basically saying that none of us are off the hook at submitting to the other person. We are to regard or treat the other one with admiration and respect. We are to give special recognition to someone else. So submit basically means to line yourself up under someone and give up your rights. That's what we're to do for one another. I also love Romans 12.10. Last year, um, I felt compelled to just read Romans 12 every day. Um, I did it for about nine months. um, And God just kept pulling things out. And one of them was that verse. And it simply says, in the NIV, the New International Version, honor one another above yourselves. The English Standard Version says, outdo one another in showing honor. The message trans, paraphrase says, practice playing second fiddle. Now, I like that ESV version, outdo one another in showing honor. Wouldn't that be a cool competition to have? Like, can you imagine the arguments a husband and wife would have if they are trying to outdo the other one in showing honor? Hey, I'm showing you honor. No, I'm showing you honor more. No, I'm going to, oh, you're showing me honor. I'm going to do more honor for you. No, let me do it. I'm going to top you on showing honor. Like, if we could have fights about who's honoring each other more, that'd be a really cool argument to have, right? Just have a contest between you and yourself, and you try to win that one. You try to out-honor your spouse more than you're honoring you. That's what Romans 12.10 is saying. Philippians 2, verses 3 through 4, do nothing out of selfish ambition. Do what? Nothing. Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but what? In humility, consider others, how about your spouse, better than yourselves. Each of you should not only look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Let me tell you, you don't need to come to me for marriage counseling. You don't need to go to anyone else, a pastor for counseling. You just grab a hold of those three verses and you practice those and you'll have a phenomenal marriage. That's enough biblical counsel right there on how to have a good marriage. You put those into practice, which by the way is a lot easier said than read and done, right? The Bible calls for us to honor our spouse and to outdo one another in showing honor. Now, just to make sure you're capturing this thing called honor, I want to illustrate it. I want to give you a couple stories to illustrate it, okay? The first one is this. Um, I'm, a, I'm a fan of Dr. Laura. She used to be on some conservative radio programs. And the reason I'm a fan, since I'm a marriage therapist, I'm just jealous. She gets to solve people's problems in three to four minutes. And, and then she's done with them. She doesn't have to see them again, you know? And um, she doesn't have to worry whether they're doing what she said or not. And so um, she's conservative. And again, she's, she rubs me the wrong way sometimes too. But in her book, The Proper Care and Feeding of Her Marriage, she starts the book out by talking about a phone call she got from a 17-year-old girl. The girl called her and said, Dr. Laura, I got a dilemma. I need you to help me with it. Dr. Laura said, go ahead. What's your dilemma? She goes, well, my boyfriend who's 18, uh, he and I, it's our senior year. And on this one specific night is prom night. It's going to be our last prom. We've gone to a couple other proms, but it's our our senior prom. And and I want to go and have our last prom dance together. And I'm really looking forward to it. And he, he wants to go too, 
But we got a problem because he's this phenomenal lacrosse player. I mean, he's really good. Like, he's going to get a full-ride scholarship to some college or another one to play lacrosse, and he's that good. And that night, it just so happens, is his last game of the season. And there's reports that there are going to be a lot of college scouts at that game. And I don't know what we should do. And Dr. Laura wisely said, well, do you, do you love this boy? I mean, as much as a 17-year-old can know they love him. And she goes, yes, I do. We've talked, we've dated for several years. Uh, you know, we've talked about having a life together. And so, yes, I can say without any question, I love the boy. And Dr. Laura goes, oh, good. okay, good. I guess you're going to go to the lacrosse game. And the girl stopped and said, what? <laughs> Dr. Laura goes, yeah, if you love the boy, you're going to go to the lacrosse game. We're done here. You know, that's, you won the answer. That's the answer. And the girl goes, but, but what about, you know, the prom? And Dr. Laura says, listen, are, are you familiar with the story, The Gift of the Magi? And I don't know if you are, but The Gift of the Magi goes like this. Many years ago, in the olden days, there was a man and his wife who were very, very poor. Very poor. And it came time for Christmas, for them to give gifts to one another. And the one thing that he admired most about her was her long golden hair. And she, that was one of her favorite features of herself, is her long golden hair. And his favorite thing, his prized possession, was this golden pocket watch that was passed down through his family generations. It was a family heirloom. And he loved this pocket watch. Christmas time came, and they opened up their gifts. And the wife opened up her gift, and it was this beautiful jeweled comb, one of the most beautiful combs she'd ever seen. He wanted her to have it to comb her beautiful hair. And when he opened his gift, it was a beautiful gold chain to match the family heirloom that he had in his pocket. But they sat there as they opened their gifts and cried and hugged each other because she had cut her hair and sold it to buy him the chain. And he had sold the pocket watch in order to buy her the comb. Okay? And Dr. Laura said this, if you really love someone, you will be willing to give up whatever is important to you in order to give that person what's important to them. If you really love someone, if you really honor them, you will give up what's important to you in order to give to them what's important to them. Several years ago, I was at a conference, and there was a man speaking about marriages. Uh, He was a Christian counselor, and he was speaking about marriages, and he raised this question. He said, I wonder, how would you treat your spouse today if today you got the medical news that they have stage four cancer? How would you treat them? And then he went on to say, why don't we all treat each other that way now? Because we're all terminal. And then with a grin on his face, he said, the last time I looked, 10 out of 10 people died. As a pastor, I've been around a lot of people, family members who are loving on and caring for a family member in stage four cancer. This last year, my father died of stage four cancer. I know what it's like to treat someone special when you know you're about to lose them. Oh, there will be family members who will look at that loved one's, 
you know, bucket list. And if they're physically able, they'll do all they can to fulfill that person's bucket list. They treat them with tenderness. They treat them with mercy and grace. They see nothing but the good in them. And, and they, they want to be with them as much as they can be. Oh, if we would only treat our spouses as if this was the last day we had with them. The way we would treat them, knowing it's the last day, that is honor. We would treat them with honor. Why don't we do that today? Right? So how do you honor your spouse? This is something that we, uh, that we uh, are, feel it's important is to give you some how-tos. Okay? So we're to honor God with our marriage. We're to honor our spouse with our marriage. How do you go about honoring your spouse? Okay, you get the concept. You understand the feeling of that and the importance of it. But how, does, how do we live that out? How do we play that out in our marriages? And what I want to say is that, first of all, one of the ways you honor your spouse is by focusing on their character. See your spouse. See them. Look at them by paying attention to who they are as a person, to their character. And two things about that is, first of all, your spouse is a good person. They are a good person. Deep down inside, I don't care if their behavior is bad. I don't care if there's a history of bad behavior between the two of you. Deep down inside, as Emerson Egridge says in his book, Love and Respect, there is a goodwill woman and there is a goodwill man. There is goodness in your spouse. And what you have to do is not deny the problem before you, but you need to look past the problem and see the good that's in your spouse. Because I know when your marriage is in conflict or it's not good or you're drifted really far, when you encounter your spouse, oftentimes all you're thinking about is the problems between the two of you and all you're thinking about is all the problems with your spouse. You're looking at all the bad flaws, uh, the things that annoy you, the things that hurt you, and you're focused on nothing but the bad, right? Thank you for the agreement. You're focused on the bad, right? I mean, I think that's just human nature, right? When we're in conflict, we can't see the good. And we're focused on the bad and we're so bad trying to tell them what's bad about them that we don't see the good. But deep down inside, you have a good man and you have a good woman that you're married to. And you need to appreciate the person and not focus so much on the problem. But also, if you're focusing on your spouse's character, you also need to see that your spouse is a godly person. They're a godly person. And some of you may be going, oh, you, you don't know my spouse. You may be saying, oh, my spouse isn't even a Christian. How, do you, how, how can you say they're godly? Here's how I can say they're godly. In the creation account, we read that God created us male and female. And what else? He made us in his image. There is something about you and I that reflects the image of God because we're all made in his image. So therefore, there's something godly in each of us. There really is. All of us are unique as the uniqueness of our thumbprint. But then also, as we talked yesterday, and you'll just have to listen to the tapes to get all of it, the CDs, whatever. But we talked about how we all reflect as male and female God in different ways. Our own gender lived out reflects the image of God in different ways. But we each individually are unique and reflect the image of God. That's why I think it's really cool when I meet new people, what goes into my brain is, hey, in encountering this person, I wonder what it is about God that I haven't yet experienced because I haven't experienced that person. 
or I wonder what it is I know about God that's going to be reinforced. My knowledge of him, my experience of him is going to be reinforced because of my experience and encounters with that person. Because every person reflects the image of God. And by the way, since we're talking about marriage, my spouse reflects the image of God to me. And I reflect the image of God to her. In other words, Rhonda wants nothing more than to reflect the image of God to me. There will be some things about God I will not have experienced had I not experienced it through her. And I so bad want to be the one who reflects the image of God to her so that if if she never encounters another person or doesn't experience any part of the character of God from anybody else, she's going to experience it from me. Because we each reflect the image of God. So think about that. What, what do you remember, what do you know, not remember, what do you know are the characteristics of God? How about it? What's one characteristic of God? Faithful. Faithful. Another one? Selfless. Selfless. Kindness. Kindness. Loving. Loving. Compassionate. Merciful. Merciful. If you made a list of the characteristics of God as you know Him, and then you looked at your spouse, if you look at Him with kindness... <laughs> You will see some of those characteristics. Dependable, trustworthy, loving, gracious, forgiving. Oh, your spouse is forgiving because you're so flawed. They have to be forgiving to live with you, right? There are some aspects of God that are being lived out right in front of you, right beside you on a daily and nightly basis. And if you're going to honor your spouse, you need to recognize that truth. And when you do, it will change your heart. It will change your attitude towards your spouse. It really will. Not only see your spouse, but if you're going to honor your spouse, you need to say things to your spouse. You need to honor your spouse with words. Yes, you need to talk in your marriage, but you need to say good things to one another. It's interesting, uh, the gurus of marriage counseling, John and Julie Gottman, they've been researching couples in Seattle, Washington for over 40 years, kind of a scientific way. And in all of their research of couples, they begin to classify couples in two categories. Couples who are masters of relationship and couples who are disasters of relationship. And they present their material to say, look, if you want a good marriage, avoid the things that are going on in these relationships that make them disasters and do more of these things that have made these people masters of their relationship. And there's one thing they noted in their research. They discovered as far as conflicts, and believe me, they have like couples come in, they videotape them, they have them live in this one house, and they have cameras in every place but the bedrooms, and they videotape them interacting, and they compile all this research. And they have discovered that the masters of relationship and the disasters of relationship fight the same amount. There's masters don't fight any less than the disasters. But what they've discovered is the masters of relationship repair more often. They work at repairing. Another discovery they had was they discovered a a ratio of positive to negative words shared between the two of them. And Gottman said the masters of relationship have a five to one ratio, five positive words to every one negative word toward their spouse. But the disasters of relationship, they don't even have one. Their research shows a 0.7 positive to every one negative. 
We can't say enough good. If you're wanting to build a God-honoring marriage, we need to speak positive, uplifting, wholesome words to one another. Think about this for a moment. When you criticize your spouse, aren't you really specific in your criticism? Then why don't you get specific with your compliments? Dennis and Barbara Rainey says, you can praise, your praise can be excessive only if your words are insincere, but genuine heartfelt praise cannot be overdone. It cannot. I like what Gary Thomas in his book Cherish says. He says, it's your job to be your spouse's CEO, chief encouraging officer. That's your job. It's your job to be the main person that encourages your spouse. You are your spouse's CEO. Your children should not be your spouse's CEO. Your your spouse's boss should not be their main encouraging officer. Your spouse's church group should not be the only one encouraging them and be the main ones to encourage. And it better not be another man or another woman who's the main encourager of your spouse. You, that's your job to be the chief encouraging officer of your spouse. And when you do that, you're honoring your spouse. Now, John and Stacy Eldridge made this one statement in their book that's really uh, sunk deep in me. And I just want to kind of flesh out some of my thoughts with you about this. They said, our love story is a part of God's larger story. The love story that Rhonda and I have is a part of God's bigger story. The love story that you and your spouse are living out, it isn't lived out in isolation. It's a part of God's larger story. And and that's the perspective we need to have. There's a big difference between just living out the love story of your marriage and living it out of the love story of God. Big difference. Think about this. If you're living out of just your story, what your marriage means to you, what it, wants, what it should be for you, and you're just living out your love story, then you are the center of that story, and you're the point of it. You're the main person that it matters to. But when you're living your marriage out in the bigger context of God's story, then God is the center of that story. God is the point of the story. That's why we need to honor God with our marriage If you're living out your marriage, just your story, apart from God's story, not giving consideration to how it's being played out in God's bigger, larger story, then you will view your marriage as a consensual relationship simply for personal enjoyment. But if you live out your story in God's bigger story, in the context of his story, then you'll view your marriage not just as a consensual relationship for your enjoyment, you will live out your marriage as a covenant relationship for God's glory. If you think that the main purpose of your marriage is to serve your needs, then you're just living out of your story. If you're just focused on, hey, what about me? What about me? What about me? My needs aren't being met. What about me? Then you're just, you're just focused on your story. But when you realize that you're living out your story in the bigger context of God's story, then you'll think the one main purpose of your marriage is to serve your spouse's needs because that's part of God's story is each of us serving each other and honoring each other. 
If you just focus on your marriage story and just live out of your own marriage story, your own love story, you'll be focused on how your spouse needs to change. But if you're living in God's bigger story, he's calling you to change, to have a better marriage. If you're just living out of your own story, then your heart cry will be, fill me, fill me, fill me. And then your marriage will be about satisfying the emptiness that's in you. But if you're living your marriage out of the context of this bigger story, this grander story, this transcendent story of God, then your heart cry will be, fulfill me, fulfill me. And I am fulfilled when I bring glory to God. When my love of my spouse is an expression of his love, then I am fulfilled by honoring God in it. Do you see the difference between those two? Your love story is being lived out in the context of God's bigger story. And I don't know how many times in 33 and a half years of marriage, there have been times where I've had to get recalibrated and think, okay, this isn't just about you, buddy. This isn't just about you and your needs. This just isn't about you being filled up and fulfilled. This is about someone else. But it's not just about Rhonda. It's not just about me and her and our marriage either. It's about a bigger picture than that. Our son sat on the front row and continues to sit on the front row of watching what our love story is, is like. And though we've lived it out imperfectly, we've tried to honor God in it the best that we know how because it's about something bigger than us. And it's not just about our sons. It's about potential grandchildren, if we have any. It's about that. It's or about people that are around us watching to see what God's love is like. That's what it's about. See, your marriage has a transcendent value to it. And it has a God-sized mission. It's about God. And it's for His glory. Amen? Amen. So I just want to ask you as you leave today to reflect on and evaluate and then work on this. Is your marriage to your spouse reflecting Christ's character to him or her? And is your marriage a display, a portrayal, a portrayal of God's love to other people? What is your marriage about? Honor him. And honor your spouse. That's his call. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for giving us these moments. Thank you for speaking through me. I trust that you have. And I trust that you take whatever has been said today and just kind of move that into the hearts of the people here. Maybe there was just one phrase. Maybe there was just one story. Maybe there was just something that grabbed their heart and made them pay attention to about how they are in their marriage or what their marriage is about. And I just pray that by your Holy Spirit, you'll bring transformational change in the lives of the couples that are here in this room. And may they be a model of your love to a watching world. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Again, it's been good to be with you. And this is the conclusion of the service. So have a good day. Okay. Thanks again for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. 
For more messages like this and other resources, visit us online at cccsterling.org.